welcome to Jolty. I'm joined with Faith Popcorn and Adam Hamp, and I am so excited to talk about things that we want to see. What What is it that we're hoping for in the future, and where is it leading us? And so we're going to jolt like crazy tonight. Let's get started. There's no better time, actually, to talk about things that we want to see, because we're in a moment where we're surrounded by things we'd rather not see. This should be a conversation about how can we create the future that we envision and hope for. Let's start with what we wanted to talk about, which was this fractious argument we're having about mail-in voting and what we do about it and how we find a solution that lets our democracy be our democracy and doesn't divide people, but unites them. So, I have a couple of ideas about how to get maybe the ballots to the right place. Suppose Chipotle said, bring me your your ballot, I will get it to the people that count them. And if you bring me the ballot, I will give you a free taco. That's corporate responsibility, right? Yeah, look, I think that if we expand that, this idea of creating a network of vote delivering intermediaries, it could be Chipotle, it could be McDonald's, it could be anybody who decides- Starbucks. Starbucks, perfect. And they'd all get different kinds of people that eat at those various places, you know, you know, mothers or, you know, people with kids or, you know, ethnic, certain ethnic groups or whatever. Or, you know, I just think there might be a very simple answer to getting the ballot to where it belongs. And Faith, how do, what do you think of the CEOs of those corporations getting on board and saying, we understand how important it is for every American to be able to exercise her or his right to vote. And therefore, we're going to make sure that that happens. I mean, and we're going to take a risk. That is a risk. Yeah. What do you what do you think of that? Do you think there are CEOs that are that courageous or brave in this country to do that? If the government can't play that basic role, then you've lost faith in the ability of the government pretty much to do anything. Yeah. yeah. Annie, but we have lost confidence. You know, when you fact check this stuff and everything, so many lies. I so much believe, my father was CIA. I mean, I believed in the CIA and the FBI. I still do believe it, but they've been suppressed and twisted and fired. So I just think it's only for a few more months that we will not have confidence in the government, and then it's going to be better. But that's going to be a real rebuilding process because the legacy of this destruction of confidence is not going to disappear November, it's going to perpetuate. There are people who think there's a deep state. There are people who think that Obama was illegitimate and if Biden wins, that he would be illegitimate. So this is a healing process. This is like a couple that had infidelity and then they need need marriage counseling and time and healing to bring people back together because trust has been shattered. How do you think we rebuild basic trust in government? When government starts telling the truth, I think that the trust will come. You know. Recently they said, we, are, we did pick up the post boxes, but we're not picking up these sorting machines. And then you see in wherever it was, Minnesota or somewhere cold, that they were. So, I mean, just blatant lying. There's no question that there's lying, dissembling, quote, as you will. And all politicians have told things that have not been true. I did a little research. And mail-in voting is older in this country. The soldiers in the Continental Army mailed in their votes. During World War, during the Civil War, people mailed in their votes, World War I. 
emails in their votes. If we were able to do it then, we are able to do it now. During the Civil War, the most divisive time in our history, people mailed in their votes. So Interesting. That's a great point. Got to be able to do that. But in the short term, some combination of Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, we've got a million drop-off points in this country that we can solidify and turn into interstitial delivery systems that go to the counters. I think that in this age of public-private partnership, because there are not enough public funds to go around for cities to use, that it's very important for cities themselves, not even at the state level, but at the city level, for cities to understand what it is going to take for their citizens to be able to vote and start moving now and to rely on the power players in their cities to make sure that it happens. Okay, good. Another topic that is fascinating to me, and Faith, you alluded to this in one of our earlier episodes, and I loved it, and it made me laugh so hard, which was, have you seen these mediocre teachers in the classroom? Oh, it's terrible. On Zoom. When You know, teachers are not trained to be performers. They're terrible. And... Some are natural, but most are not. No, and I don't know if they're ever going to go back eventually because, you know, I don't want to depress everybody. COVID is the first thing, but there may be a second thing that doesn't allow us to go back to school. So I'm saying it should be like Disney and animation and actors presenting the syllabus. You know, anybody can present a syllabus online. I worry a lot when we start to judge teachers by performance metrics, because that's how we got President Trump, a reality show performer. I'd like teachers to be diverse in their presentational style. I'd like some that get up there and mumble because they're geniuses and they're communicating half with themselves, half with the audience, and others that are more showman-like and more theatrical. But if we're going to start to train teachers on Zoom, we're going to, based, based on their Zoom ability, I think we're going to end up with cookie cutter presentations. We're going to end up with students who, unless their dopamine is charged and not going to learn, they're going to go through life looking for the next addictive moment. I think it's a really bad world we're going to be in. I think we need to cherish teachers who have different styles and not try to force everybody into the same mode. I could not agree with you more, but I also think that our education system for decades has harbored teachers who are not willing to grow in terms of understanding how to reach everyone in the classroom. I think that this presents a unique moment in time for us to reevaluate that and try to get those teachers who are brilliant, but perhaps are not good at conveying what they know and imparting that wisdom to gain some techniques that help them do that. I think we need to see a massive new level of involvement of parents, which we're starting to see with with homeschooling. We gotta get parents more involved in the sustenance of education. I think a lot of parents are focused on grades and on superficial indicia of success. But really, I think you're competing with Minecraft and Animal Crossing, everything is so highly entertaining and gorgeous that if we're going to be online, I think it has to be competing with that. Like, uh, you know, you're there watching and then somebody jumps in your room, you know, and talks to you. Holograms. That's what I think it should be like. And I don't think we should stick to that old school. I was a person that couldn't sit at a desk. And most people that you're talking about that are less fortunate 
cannot sit at a desk. You're not going to capture them through old school learning. Not going to happen. Okay, we're moving on to our last and final topic of sustainability score of some sorts. What does that entail? What does it mean for big organizations? What is a sustainability score? What does it mean? How important is it to consumers? What does it look like? How does it work? Who puts it together? So, you know, Walmart led this conversation about five years ago, maybe. They came up with a sustainability report card that all the vendors must meet. It's a whole series of like 50 different things they have to answer that has to do with carbon footprint. It has to do with making sure that vendors don't use child labor. It has to do with recyclability. You know, it's one of these things that the minute you kind of drill down, it gets like mind boggling. But here's here's the thing. You, you know, the gap between intention and behavior is something that we see constantly, right? We talked about that before. So consumers want traceability. They want to understand the source. They want to understand generally that people are doing the right thing. If we had a universal scoring system, which might be difficult, but I think that's the only solution, you know, that we could then use and that Amazon and other e-commerce retailers could make available. I think that consumers, especially younger consumers, are hungry for this. And I think that even if it's an imperfect scoring system, it's something to this group I'm thinking of. Sustainability is about your local community and not harming the environment. It's that simple. What do we want to see from sustainability scoring? I don't know what sustainability means. You haven't had an honest national conversation about what we expect from companies. We've had a lot of grandstanding and, and hand-waving. We have nothing that brings us together and no leadership that brings us together and no sense of accomplishment. You know, During World War II, after Pearl Harbor, how long do you think it took us to make a B-52 bomber? How long? 22 days. Two, two hours. How long did it take to make a ship? Four days to make a battleship. We can't get hand sanitizers in people's hands in four months. We're a laughing stock around the world. I'm afraid that we have made ourselves vulnerable to some other type of horrific event here in this country. And that's why we have to change and get out of this. It, it makes me very concerned during this election season, especially. Then we have to do everything we can. Let's fast forward in the world. What do you want to see in 2021? I'd like to see my daughter like meet somebody. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Unfortunately, you know, I, I think what we need to see is a complete reinvention of the work life balance. We need a complete mental reset in work and life, and we're going to need it because we're not going back to the office anytime soon. Why? Because the virus is not under control by any means. You don't think this vaccine is going to work, Annie? Look, the, at this point, people don't know if the antibodies are going to last from natural immunity, let alone the vaccine. Isn't the vaccine going to work? If it doesn't work, okay. But I think we're going to have a vaccine, not like Donald says, but like February, March, April. Yeah, I think we'll have a vaccine in the first quarter. And that's going to be good. And then we have to convince people it works. And do you want us to come visit you? No. <laughs> Adam and Faith, this was so much fun. I loved being with you tonight. Thank you. I mean, what a great conversation. And for those of you who are lucky enough to listen in, thank you for joining us. And we are so excited to bring you more of this. And if you're so inclined, please, please like us and subscribe. 
Even if you're not inclined, listen to her. Yeah. <laughs>